Murder. Welcome to Death Do Us Part podcast hosted by my wife, Jamie. Hello. And myself, Mark. What up, y'all? Hey. Hey. Number 99, motherfucker. Motherfucker. I know what we're doing for 100. I do, too. But, no, remember we talked about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, is 100 going to be good? Yeah. All right. Well. Yeah. Already that. It's gotta be. It's it's gotta be. It's our century mark. I know. Can you believe we're, I mean, we're technically. We're technically over it with all the Patreon We're at like 131. Yeah, but. But. This is a big deal. This is a very big deal. It's a big deal, babe. So it's it's a good, I think it's a good case. Okay. So. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm down with your sickness. But guys, listen to this shit. Uh-oh. Okay, first, uh, the other day, driving in the car, Jackson asked me to turn on Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre. Yes. So. That's our song. I was like, that's what's fucking up. Yes. Two, Mark cut his thumb the other day. I did. Really and bad. They called me at work, and they know they only call me at work work, like on the work phone, if something is wrong. So, collectively, everybody in the company is like, well, we're going to fix it, obviously. Yeah. So, he calls, and he talks to one of the, the, the guy dispatching, who I've known forever, and he starts giving him instructions, and then he comes in by me, and I'm I'm in the middle of an interview. Yeah. And the guy, Mark, was like, it's it's Jackson on the phone. It's an emergency Mark cut his finger. And I'm like, oh my fucking God, here we go. (laughs) This is what my child says. And I'm going to forgive him for this, so I need everybody else to forgive him for this too. Because the kid can function in a crisis. I will give him that. Yes, he can. Ma, dad cut his thumb. I said, okay. I got him gauze. I told him to put the gauze on it, and I told him to squeeze it. And I'm like, okay. And he goes, "I told you got to put pressure on it. And I'm like, yes. So I, t- I told him to squeeze it. I'm like, okay. And then I told him that he just needs to calm the fuck down. <laughs> he is so awesome. He did such a great job, but like. He's on speaker at this point, though. <laughs> and the vice president of the company is sitting in the interview with me and is turning bright red, ready to pee his pants. <laughs> The poor kid I'm interviewing doesn't know what to do. So I was like, okay, when the blood goes through the gauze, get another piece of gauze. And he's like, okay. And I said, did dad calm the fuck down? And he's like, I don't think he did. And I was like, okay. I wasn't even all that like. I said, you need to calm the fuck down. Yeah. He was the one that was all up in arms. Ma, I am calm. And that's how you know when I get the (laughs) ma. But then he called me afterwards freaking out about you. Dad just doesn't listen. He just doesn't want to go. He just does not. Mom, he just doesn't. Why Why can't he just listen? Why can't he just go? And I said, <laughs> but you know why he doesn't want to go? And at this point, I'm sitting next to my friend, Laura, who I've talked yeah. about. And he's like, no, why doesn't he want to go? I said, because he's a fucking wiener and he's well, afraid of needles and he doesn't want to get a needle. And he goes, so I'm braver than dad no i just i didn't want to go to the hospital like you he called your mom your mom's like call an ambulance and i'm like this isn't serious enough but for an ambulance in the defense of that that is an instance where 
you would call an ambulance. Yeah. You're home. You probably, if you needed stitches, let me rephrase that. You're home with Jax. If you needed stitches, you don't have a car here. Yeah. And there's a window, you know, so that would have been more than appropriate. Yeah. It just, you know how fingers bleed. They bleed a lot, and yeah. And you I, got yourself good. Oh, I, I cut it good. It was a very sharp knife, too, because it's, yeah. Yeah. I, I got it good, and then it just, it, it was like pouring at first. I, it, it That's why I, quick, it, it did. Yeah. It stopped very quick, yeah. but it was pouring at first. So that's why like, you know, I had the new seat cover yeah. for the Peloton yeah. and I was using that for the blood to drip in. Yeah. And I called Jax on the phone. I'm like, dude, I just cut my thumb. Like I, I need your help, dude. So he started like, Oh my God. Oh my God. I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. But then he like, he got it together. Yeah, he did. I, I guess when, he called and and the guy picked up the phone. He's like, "Do you have gauze?" And Jackson's like, "Yeah." And Mark's like, "All right, grab a piece of gauze, you know, and I'll go get mom." He's like, "Okay." So then, when we're talking by Laura, he's like, "So I'm braver than Dad." <laughs> and Laura, the fucking peanut gallery, was like, "Dude, you're just now figuring that out, right. just now." And Jackson's like, "This is great." So then I tried to hang up the phone with him, and I was like, yeah. I, I have to go. Now the dad is not, you know, his finger's not falling off, stuff like that. Yeah. Don't hang up. I'm like, why? You're going to hang up on your sweet baby angel child? <laughs> Dude, he is a trip. Hang up my fucking phone. I swear to God, he is a trip. He is the coolest kid ever, man. <sighs> I love that kid to death. So... But he, he did good in a crisis. He did. He, he does he, great. He got gauze. He mm-hmm. got a Band-Aid. The best know. one was, though, when my sugar dropped real low, he got me peanut butter. He got me a garbage can. Yep. He put a fan in front of me. And then he called my mom and was like, what else do I do? Yeah. And she's like, nothing. You did everything. And then she's like, where is your dad? Yeah. And he's like, he's sitting right here. Why? What? <laughs> what? So that, that happened. Yeah. And then... The 19th was mm-hmm. Mark's fourth birthday, technically. Yep, that was the... Fourth alive day. Yep. The fourth anniversary, for lack of better terms, of... When I died. Mark dying. Yep. Twice. So it's my happy alive day. So we got him ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. I think I deserved it. You did. Now the other thing. So, our 100th episode... Mm-hmm. We're doing the Menendez brothers. Yeah. Now our next Patreon though. Uh, dun dun dun. Dun dun dun. How many podcasts have you guys and you guys, my listeners, our people? How many podcasts have you guys listened to where the subject matter and the case was an actual case of the host? Right. I'm gonna go with a solid maybe one if you can find it right so our next patreon is going to be mark's first homicide case so and it's a trigger warning it, it's a it it's was, a hard one it was a baby girl yeah it was hard we still remember her birthday and, yep. and everything but i still see her face in my sleep for the first time in what i know this episode is going to be told by the guy's who investigated the case? Yeah, we're bringing Tony Curtis back. Yep, we're gonna have Tony on. 
And so a lot of be prepared for a lot of dad oh jokes. But it's gonna be told first hand fucking knowledge. Yeah. You guys are getting a case straight from the guys who worked it, who lived it, who breathed it, and who still see her every day when they close their eyes. Right. You want to talk about a different fucking dynamic? That's where you're going to get it. Yeah. So, after the Menendez brothers, we are doing... Say her name. Myra. That's going to be her case. It's going to be yeah. her day and her case. Told by you guys. Little girl Myra. Mm-hmm. Told by you guys. Who better to tell it? Yeah. The guys who investigated yeah. it and the guys who caught the fucking monster who did it. Yeah. Nobody else better to listen to. So. True. It's going to be our next Patreon. You guys want to hear it. I'm looking forward to it. You got to sign up for Patreon. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yep. All tiers will get it. It's going to be a doozy. It is. It really is. It really is. It, it's was, just, it was a fucked up case. It was a very fucked up case. Very fucked up case. And to hear it told from you guys, it's it's different because your hearts are in it. Your yeah. heads are in it. You know? Your blood, sweat, and tears are in it. But if those guys weren't there taking pictures of the old granary, we never would have found her. Nope. So it's... I just got chills right now. Everything happens for a reason. There's no such thing as coincidence. Yeah, it it definitely happened for Mm -hmm. a reason. No such thing as coincidence. So you guys will get to hear Mark and Tony talk about the case. And we all know how it was when Tony told this case. It's just, it's a different, it's a whole different perspective. It's a whole different demeanor. It's a whole different feel. It is. It really is. Because you got you. It's in every fiber of your being, and it's just different. I mean, I can. Oh, it took a lot out of me. I can tell stories, and I can, and I get emotional. You guys know that, but yeah, this is. It's just different. It's well, different. It, it took a lot out of me. I know. I re- I remember. So that's what we're doing. But I'm excited for I am it. Too. It, it I am needs too. to be told. I feel like it'll be therapeutic. Because I, I don't think it got as enough news coverage as it did, but, but it was the same story, you know. Two days in a row, and then you didn't hear about it. And then it. you didn't hear about it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think it needs to be told. It needs to be out there. And I, who better to tell it? Yeah. So that's going to be our next Patreon. Sweet. Speaking of Patreons, do we have any new ones? We do. And I just moved that page. Oh, boy. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. We have Sarah. Sarah, thank you. Who's a patrolman. We have Jennifer. Jennifer, thank who's you. Who's a patrolman. And I think I know who that is. We have Michelle. Michelle, thank who, you. Whose email address is amazing. Uh, we have Nicole. Nicole, thank you. Michelle and Nicole are uh, patrolmen. We have Judy. Judy. (laughs) Mama Judy. Mama Judy. Had to get her own Patreon uh, because (laughs) Lindsay took the shit and ran to Florida. Right. So Mama Judy finally had to get her own. Mm -hmm. So we got Mama Judy. And then we got Ginger. Ginger, I like that Uh, name. Whose nickname is probably Gingy, which is fucking amazing yeah i like that so um thank you guys you guys are awesome yeah thank you for your support we uh, we -hmm. can't explain how much we appreciate it no god no it just it means the world yeah and after a long day and i come home from work 
to a package from Mama Judy, <laughs> and it's a diamond art picture of me and you, like, it literally makes me cry. Yeah. I have a black soul and no heart, and you guys make me cry. So I hope yeah. I hope you feel good about yourselves. But if you want to sign up as a Patreon, there are several tiers that you can sign up for. www.patreon.com forward slash death do us part the number one and like i said there's several tiers and each tier though you will get the bonus episodes yep and there's 31 of them yeah soon to be 32 soon to be 32 and honestly that's where our our big controversial cases go yeah you know that's where scott peterson's at that's where casey anthony's at that's our big controversial cases yeah so so if you want to hear it, you got to sign up. It's the tears. Hey, babe, why did the oh detective stay in bed all day? Jesus, fuck. Because he's you? Because he's working undercover. That was a good one. You got to admit. These jokes tire me. You got to admit that was a good one. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Oh, this book my mom gave me is great. What time is it right now? I don't know. Six? Yeah. All right. So, 37 hours, I've been awake. Yeah. Yeah, you have been. Mm Mm-hmm. I I can't believe you didn't go to bed last night. Mm Mm-mm. I was doing laundry. Dude. I was doing laundry. I cleaned the kitchen. I I cleaned my bedroom. I No, I was just... I was going. I was good. So... And then by the time it was like, okay, maybe I should go to bed. I'm like, oh, I, why, I have to get up in a fucking oh, hour and take a shower. Yeah, There's no point. I'm not going to get up. sleep right through it. So, yeah, I just got up and went in. Well, you could go to bed early tonight. I'm not even, like, I'm I'm good. I still got like nine loads of laundry I got to fucking do. Oh, jeez, so, I'm sorry. Meh, it's all right. She's uh, all right. All right, well, we got a good case Today, it's today a is a request. Yes, it's a cult case. It's fucking weird. <laughs> it is. There's some documentaries out there. I watched the one on Netflix, Wild Wild Country. Did you watch it? I did, okay. and it's weird. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, because I didn't see any. There's no, like, murder. Like... Not that I could recall. Like, arrestable, this person did this murder. No, it was like all attempts. Yeah. That -hmm. they were charged with. Mm -hmm. It was all attempts. Yeah. They got charged with a lot of shit. They they did, but everything was attempt. Yeah. Yeah. So. It was, uh, it's fucking crazy what they got away with, to be honest with you. Yeah, it it just, it it was weird. I, I wasn't. A great documentary. No, but that's what I heard. Yeah, yeah. It my interest wasn't fully, peaked. yeah, fully peaked. You're not a big so, fan of documentaries. Some I am. Some I am. I, you know, <laughs> I really. I like the John Wayne Gacy ones, which I still haven't watched with the interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that one. I like the Waco one. The Waco one was good. Yeah, that was more like a a movie documentary though. No, there were two. Oh. Oh, okay. Yeah, we did watch the other one. Yeah, there okay. were two. What do they call those docudramas? Yeah. yeah. Um, I think so. But yeah, this one it just it it didn't pique my interest, but this is a request, so we're going to do it. 
Um, I knew nothing. I, I about... hope you can make it a little bit more interesting. You know, so I'm sure you will. You always do. I've never heard of this. I've never heard so, of it either. And it's very culty. You know, they have the same. Oh, yeah. The same. It, it's very. I almost said same symptoms. That's not what I fucking meant. Same qualities, I guess. Yeah. You know, a lot of cults do. So. Yeah. Oh, like, it's, it's just. It, it, no, hands down, it was a cult. Sell off all your belongings and, and come to me while I make money hand over fucking fist. Right. You know? Right. This guy, okay, so we are doing, and I apologize in advance, I have listened to Google pronounce 157 times. Yeah, it's difficult. Still not going to pronounce this shit right, so I tried to phonetically spell it, still not going to say it right. Right. I apologize. Um, We are doing Bhagwan Rajneesh. Right. Now, the cult was Rajneesh Puram. Right. That is the name of the compound and the cult and the city that they created and that. So right. that's what we're doing. Take a sip. <laughs> I get cotton mouth so bad. Oh, the, Adder- the Adderall gives me cotton mouth. Yeah. So I'll take it. It's worth it. Oh, it's worth it. It's worth it. So, okay. Rajneesh Puram was a religious intentional community in the Northwest United States located in Wasco County, Oregon. They incorporated their own city between 1981 and 1988 with its population consisting entirely of Rashnis Shis, which is what they called his disciples, his right. followers. Um, its citizens and leaders were responsible for launching the 1984 bioterror attacks and, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the largest immigration fraud ring oh, yeah. in American history. Yeah. Um, which is wild. Oh, it's crazy. Um, <clears throat> it was a religious community that brought together thousands of young devotees from all over the world to create a free love type new age utopia utopia in the oregon desert they were far ahead of their time in the use of organic farming recycling and blending of eastern and western spirituality yeah now initially they were an astonishingly successful social and religious experiment that attracted thousands of visitors and generated millions in income really but it only lasted a couple years. That's it. Uh, and then it fucking imploded. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it did. Because of criminal activity. Yeah. Um, so they were, like I said, responsible for the largest immigration fraud ever recorded, the largest bioterrorist attack on American soil, and the largest wiretapping operation in United States history. Yeah. What? Oh, yeah. And I've never heard of them. Isn't it crazy? Like, I'd never heard of it either. Yeah. Crazy. It's unbelievable. All right. So, with that being said, on December 11th, our wedding anniversary, 1931, Chandra Mohan Jain was born in... Aren't we the 13th? Oh, yeah. 2011. Yeah. All right. I had two of the fucking numbers right. Shut up. All the numbers are there. <laughs> right. Just not in the... Usually it's the woman that gets it right. In I the don't. Man. Nope. <laughs> the man fucks it up. Not me. 
Somebody at work the other and day. And I, I got the brain injury. Yeah. I think it was Marco that said I was an honorary man. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, my left nut's probably bigger than yours. You're right. Yeah. So uh, Chandra Mohan Jain was born in Kuwata, India. Growing up, he was called Rajneesh, which means God of Night or the Moon. So that's that's what the name came from. Okay. He would end up being known by several different names and would change his name throughout time. He was the oldest of 11 kids. And for a reason that is unknown, he went and lived with his grandparents full time. Don't know mm. where his parents were or why. Yeah. Um, but he would later say that living with them is what led him to becoming a guru later in life. A guru. A guru. And I wrote down the definition of guru. I thought I did. Maybe I did not. So his grandparents were like, we kind of don't give a fuck what you do. Oh, well, that's good. He had full reign at the house and full reign to do whatever he wanted to do. Nice. He didn't have to answer to anybody. And never attended formal schooling while he was with them. Hmm. Now, at the age of seven, his grandfather died and he was sent uh, back to live with his parents. So he said that. So apparently between the age of one and seven, his grandparents made him a guru. Yeah. I don't. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Right. So he started school um, and he was remembered as very smart, but didn't conform to the rules and was very rebellious, but was also described as a great debater. Mm. He was an avid reader and was branded a communist and threatened with expulsion. Really? Oh, he was a huge supporter of communism and socialism. No shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He ended up, um, to get out his literature, he built a small small library containing communist literature and formed a group of young people who would meet periodically to discuss communist ideas and their opposition to religion. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. So he was a smart guy. Yeah, he was. Like, they usually fucking are, you know? Yeah, he's very smart. Listening to him talk, though, is kind of funny. Because he sounds like a fucking idiot. Flibbity-flab, yeah. the slim, slim, slibbity-doo. So he, was bri- he briefly associated himself with socialism. And two Indian national groups, nationalist groups, excuse me. The first one being the Indian National Army. And the second one being... The Rashtriya Swam Savek Sang. Sure. Yeah. Uh, both were short-lived because he really could not submit to any external discipline um, or their ideology and the way that they ran things. So yeah. he just didn't, you know. Yeah. So, you know, his girlfriend or his grandfather died when he was seven. And then when he was 15, his girlfriend named Shashi died from typhoid. Typhoid? Yeah. What's that? Um, I don't know how to explain it. Uh, like a fever? Well, yeah, you can get like typhoid fever. It's just, it, it's, we'll have to look it up so okay. I can explain it. Um, this caused him to become obsessed with dying and the thought of dying to the point that he would stay up for days at a time waiting for death to come after he was convinced that it was going to happen. Really? So this led him to question and become very critical of traditional religion. Wow. Why would God come to get you? Why did God come to get his grandfather? Why did God come to get his girlfriend? You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so he took interest in many methods to expand consciousness 
um, such as breathing control, mm-hmm. yoga, meditation, fasting, which is a big like spiritual thing. I did not know that. It is. I mean, I get it because Muslims fast for yeah, Ramadan. Right. Um, the occult and hypnosis. Ooh. Now, as a young intellectual, he visited with and absorbed insights from many teachers of various religious traditions that were active in India. He wanted to learn everything. Now, in 1959, he started college at uh, Hitkarini College in Jablapur, but was kicked out shortly after, after, uh, shortly after that due to conflicts with an instructor. Okay. And by conflicts, I mean like physical fighting with one oh, of his really? professors. Oh, yeah. really? No shit. Um, so he transferred to D.N. Jane College. Okay. But became so disruptive... He was not required to attend classes and was told to just come in and take the tests. (laughs) I wish I could do that. So that's what we got to do? Right? I guess now they have like online learning. So they can be like, listen, fucker. Yeah. We don't want you. Stay on your computer. Do you remember the the Virginia Tech shooter was told to not come to class? Oh, yeah. And he was taught separately? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So now he used this time that he was not going to actual class to work as an assistant editor at a local newspaper. Uh, In 1955, he got his bachelor's in philosophy. And in 1957, he got his master's in philosophy uh, with distinction at the University of Sagar. What are you looking at? I'm trying to burp. Oh. Okay. (laughs) But not do it in the microphone. Gotcha. So because he had these degrees, he immediately started teaching at... Rapur Sanskrit College, uh, and was soon asked to transfer out of that school as he was considered a danger to his students' morality, character, and religion. Good job. So in 1958, he started teaching at the first school he went to, Jablapur University. So they kick his ass out, and then they tell him to come teach there. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I get it. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> what, whatever. Yeah. Now, in 1960, he was actually promoted to professor. Was he really? Yeah. So, like, you beat the fuck out of a teacher, and then what? You take his job? <laughs> yeah. That's kind of what happened. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. What is going on? I don't know. So, he was a popular lecturer and was acknowledged as an exceptionally intelligent man who overcame the deficiencies of a small town education. During this time, though, he also traveled throughout India giving lectures um, that were critical of socialism, Gandhi, and institutional religions. Mm. Now, he traveled so often that he said he was unable to sleep in a bed because he was so used to sleeping on rocks. Right. Yeah. Um, I got to go down just a smidge. Uh, In 1966, though, after the speaking tour that he was on was obviously became very controversial, uh, the college asked him to resign. Oh. Yeah. Now, shortly before that, he began to lead three to ten day meditation camps, um, and meditation centers started to emerge um, around the areas based off of his teachings that he uh, described as a life-awakening moment. Hmm. All right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so he he was kind of a nut. 
Um, uh, you think? At the age of 21, he said that he had uh, what he described as an intense spiritual awakening. Uh, it, it's, it inspired him in him the belief that individual religious experience is the central fact of spiritual life and that such experiences cannot be organized into any single belief. Mm-hmm. Now, some of the stuff he says, okay, all yeah. right, I can get on. I can get on board with this. Yeah, we can get on board with this. Um, he um, other stuff though. No, new. No. I'm gonna go with uh, a new. Yeah. In 1968, he released a lecture series um, that would eventually be published under the title From Sex to Superconsciousness. Yeah. Um, He scandalized Hindu leaders by calling for freer acceptance of sex, but very much pushed birth control and forced abortion. Did he really? He felt that having children should be a medical event. And not just huh. because of free life. He did not. Um, he didn't like kids. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> is I pretty kinda much get what that. it boils down yeah, to. Yeah, I, I kind of get that. Yeah, he was not a fan of kids. So in 1969, he ended up. Uh, he gave a speech saying socialism is the ultimate result of capitalism, and capitalism being a revolution that brings about capitalism. Yeah. He said that socialism would be inevitable in, in, in India. I always say Indiana because I'm a fucking idiot. <laughs> um, and that socialism would socialize only poverty. Yeah. He called Gandhi a misogynistic reactionary who worshipped poverty. Wow. Okay. It's Gandhi, sir. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty strong. Um, he said that India needed capitalism, science modern technology, and birth control. Mm. He also stated that you must have socialism before capitalism, and he criticized Orthodox Indian religions as dead with empty rituals, oppressing their followers with fears of damnation and promises of blessing, which, yeah. Okay. Um, These statements made him very controversial, but it also gained him a very loyal following. Yeah. Um, and that following included very wealthy merchants and businessmen. Um, he sought individual consultations about spiritual development and, or excuse me, these businessmen went to him for individual consultations about spiritual development and transforming their daily lives. No. In exchange for donations. Of course. Right. Why not? <laughs> mm-hmm. Of course, yeah. you can't forget that. So, in also in 1969, he was invited to speak at the Second World Hindu Conference, despite misgivings from other leaders who really didn't want him there. Yeah. Um, again, his statements raised controversy. He would say, quote, any religion which considers life meaningless and full misery and teaches the hatred of life is not a true religion. Religion is an art that shows how to enjoy life. Mm. Now, he also had his own commandments, which they're not there. They're not bad. Okay. Um, the other thing I've noticed, too, um, he, was not, um, he was not very supportive of um, the gay community. Oh, okay. Not, not even a little bit, which I've noticed a lot of cults have that. Yeah. And I wonder why. Yeah, I don't know. I, I wonder why. I don't know. I just, yeah, 
I, I, it's weird to me that, I don't know how else to term it, that a group of people who are probably more open-minded than any other group of people yeah, are, not are open. ostracized yeah, by these people. Right. You know? Yeah. So right. his Ten Commandments were, number one, never obey anyone's command unless it is coming from within you also. Ooh. Number two, okay. there is no God other than life itself. Okay. Number three, truth is within you. Do not search for it elsewhere. Mm. Number four, love is prayer. Number five, to become a nothingness is the door to truth. Nothingness itself is the means, the goal, and the attainment. Wow. Number six, life is now and here. Number seven, live wakefully. Number eight, do not swim, float. Number nine, die each moment so that you can be new each moment. And number 10 was do not search. That which is, is. Stop and see. Wow. Now he would always underline. Those aren't actually bad. They're not. Like he had me up until like the forced abortion and I don't like gay people. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah that's where he did me in. Because um, those really are not that bad at all. They're not. And he would underline numbers 3, 7, 9, and 10 as the important ones to him, yeah. essentially. Okay. So, now, in the late 1960s, he found investors who were willing to fund a series of meditation retreats and started uh, recruiting followers. So, this is where he starts making his money, is these meditation oh, retreats. okay. Okay. Um, so they were called the Neo Sanyasins, which I will explain that in a minute. That I did write down. Um, they also called themselves Rajneeshis. Uh, they dressed in okra colored robes and wore a mala with a picture of Rajneesh, despite the fact that he told them, Do not worship me. Why are they wearing your picture, brother? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of seems like let's worship it. Yeah. Uh, they also all changed their names. Now, all of the women, their names started with Ma. M-A. Ma. It was indicative that the they were... Loaf. Yeah, that they had the ability to give birth. Okay. Which, you don't like kids. I don't... Whatever. Um, so, this is around the time where he changed his name to Bhagwan... Uh, Bhagwan, excuse me. Shri Rajneesh. Okay. Now, he would say in 1971 um, that he changed his name, stating that he, quote, loved the term, and it was chosen for a specific purpose, that this caused him to start working on a different level, um, yeah. saying he was now no more of a teacher than you are the students. Now, Shri is roughly equivalent translation to Sir. Okay. Bhagwan is loosely translated to Blessed One. And it's used in Indian tradition as a term of respect. Oh. Um, in Hinduism, in many parts of India and South Asia, uh, Bhagwan represents the abstract concept of a uni universal god to Hindus who are spiritual and religi religious but do not worship a specific entity. So he would go on to say, quote, Calling myself Bhagwan was simply symbolic that now I have taken a different dimension to work, 
and it has been tremendously useful. All the wrong people automatically disappeared and a totally different quality of people started arriving. It worked well. It sorted out well. Only those who are ready to dissolve with me remained. All others escaped. They created space around me. Otherwise, they were crowding too much and it was very difficult for the real seekers to come closer to me. The crowd dispersed. The work Bhagwan functioned like an atomic explosion. It did well. And I am happy I chose it. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. Hmm. Yeah. So uh, in early 1970, he presented uh, dynamic meditation for the first time at a public meditation event. Yeah. Um, it involved really weird, weird things. Uh, it involved breathing very fast. You would take like 10 breaths in and out through your nose. Oh, well, you'd pass out. Then you would jump up and down. Like you would jump up and come down on your flat feet yelling who? Uh, yeah, that's um, kind of weird. Uh, and then you would dance. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, kind of weird. Uh, so around this time, on September 26, 1970, his first group of disciples was essentially created. And he acquired a secretary. Um, her name was Lakshmi Thakarshi Kuwara. Uh, and she was his first disciple, who was renamed Ma Yoga Laxmi. Much easier. Yeah. Yeah. Now, she was a daughter of one of his original followers. Right. She ended up raising enough money for him to kind of settle down, so to speak, so he wouldn't have to travel to spread his word so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, in December of 1970, she moved him into the Woodlands Apartments in Mumbai, where he would give lectures and receive visitors. Hmm. At his apartment. I'm sure his neighbors were fucking oh, thrilled. Oh, I bet they were thrilled. Yeah. Now, this is where his first Western visitors started showing up. Okay. People were coming from Canada and America in fucking droves. Really? To India. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Which, yeah. So, I, I don't know. Okay. In the early 70s, he initiated people into the order of sannyasis. Okay? okay. Now, sannyasi is the Hindu word for abandoning or throwing down. It's a religious ascetic who has renounced the world by performing his own funeral and abandoning all claims to social or family standing. Hmm. Give me all your shit. Yeah. And stop talking to your family. Huh. That's what that means. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. There's also uh, ascetic or asceticism. It's the practice of the denial of physical or psychological desires in order to attain a spiritual ideal or goal. So you're avoiding all forms of self-indulgence. Again... Give me all of your shit. Right. Uh, pay me money and worship me. Right. Just do it. So he in, he reinterpreted the idea of being a sanase, um in the terms of detachment and rather was teaching his disciples to love fully in the world without being attached to it. So that's a different way to say give me all your shit. Yeah, exactly. Love the world. Yeah. Of course. But sell me your home. Yeah. And give, give me, me your, your 401k. Yeah. Right. Um, 
So now the humid climate of Mumbai was allegedly detrimental to Bhagwan's health. He developed diabetes, asthma, and numerous allergies. Diabetes. Uh, in 1974, on the 21st anniversary of his experience at Jabalpur, he founded an ashram, which is a religious community, in okay. Pune, which is an area in India. Yeah. Uh, and they started to expand. It started as two houses on six acres, and it actually still exists today. And it's still, really? yep, it's still at the center of present-day Osho, and that's what his name would be around his death. Yeah. Um, International Meditation Resort. Wow. Mm-hmm. Now, that's interesting. Yeah. He bought this with the help of Ma Yoga Makta. Ma. Which is a Greek, she was a Greek shipping heiress whose name was actually Catherine. Uh, Venezuelos. Um. The basic practice taught at this center was the dynamic meditation. Yeah. It also had a recording studio, an arts and crafts center uh, where goods were created, and and theater performances took place there. Hey, Mm -hmm. doesn't sound like a bad place. No, uh uh-uh. So now... Not too shabby. In 1975, he recruited several therapists from um, what was called the Human Potential Movement, Mm-hmm. And he began to complement his meditation sessions with a variety of therapy groups. This is where he made his money. Yeah. This is where you tell people, give me all your shit and you'll find your spiritual being. Mm-hmm. Give me your shit. You know what he found with everybody else's shit? Nothing. 93 Rolls Royces. Oh, my God. 93. Like, 93. not an exaggeration. A 93. Dude, we are in the wrong fucking business. Eventually, in Oregon, his followers would line up on the road, and he would drive by every day in a Rolls Royce. (laughs) What a dick. You you bitches are wearing potato sacks (laughs) um, that have been dyed to the color that he wants, wearing a necklace with his picture on it, and this fucker is driving past you in a Rolls Royce doing a princess wave. What a dick. I would have a problem with that. I'm just saying. <laughs> I would too. Oh, yeah. man. So now, the Poon Ashram. The Poo Poo? Yeah. Was described as an exciting and intense place with a, quote, emotionally charged madhouse carnival atmosphere. Ooh. All right. I.e., you live in the middle of a shit show. Yeah. Now, the day would start every day with divine meditation at 6 a.m., followed by a 60 to 90 minute long spontaneous lecture that Rajneesh, that that Bhagwan, gave every day at 8 a.m. Fuck that. Throughout the day, various meditations and therapies would take place. In the evening, Bhagwan would converse with those at the ashram. Now, Dynamic meditation, he defined as a process designed to allow people to experience the divine. Oh. Mm-hmm. It was well known for progressive for its a progressive approach to sexuality, which was strongly contrasted with the renunciation. So, like, they don't talk about sex. Yeah. You know, um, 
advocated by many other Indian teachers. Okay. Now, in order to pick the therapies that these people would do every day, they would, you know, they could choose to pick their own or they would consult with Bhagwan and he would tell them which ones to do. Now, these therapy sessions, they were experimental. Um, there was one in particular called the Encounter Group, which allowed a degree of physical aggression as well as sexual encounters between participants. Whoa. hey What? hey Now, the FBI would later say that when they went to um, raid, essentially, yeah. the, the ranch, um, there were people literally just having sex in the front yard. <laughs> this is my kind of place, I don't babe. know if, like, dude would stop, like, mid-thrust and be like, hey, <laughs> how you doing? Door on the left. Go to that one. Ring that bell. This and then just keep going. This is my kind like, of place. What the fuck? <laughs> babe. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. So now, this starts showing up in the press that... You either go to one therapy session and you beat the fuck out of each other. Yeah. Or you go to another therapy session and you're just kind of bumping uglies. Yeah. So there's conflicting reports all over the place. So a reporter went there um, and he stated that this encounter group therapy session encouraged actual violence instead of playing at being violent. Mm. Um, He alleged to have left... The Poon Ashram with a broken arm. The poo poo. After being locked in a room for eight hours with other participants armed with wooden sticks. Jesus. Why why did you go in the room? Right. I would imagine these sticks were not hidden. Why did you go in the poo poo? Why did you go in the poo poo? He criticized them for being, quote, the worst mistakes of some inexperienced echelon group leaders. Now, in 1979, they finally ended the violence in the groups, saying basically that, you know, it ran its course. Yeah. It did what it had to do, and, you know, we just don't need to do it anymore. Right. I picture the hangover. Yes. Where they get beat. (laughs) That's what I'm picturing. Right. Yeah. So, now, his disciples who, quote unquote, graduated from months of meditation and therapy could apply to work in the ashram. Now, again, this is that lovely cult quality. Right. You're going to farm for me and plant my shit and build my shit. Right. And run my shit, but I ain't going to pay you. Uh, no. Mm-mm. No. Yeah. So um, he, they really based the community rules and regulations off of a community that was run by a Russian mystic. Hey, my peeps. Your peeps. My peeps, Russia. Uh, So key features of this community were hard unpaid labor, (laughs) supervisors who were chosen for their abrasive personality, um, and people that were designed to provoke opportunities for self-observance and transcendence. Mm. Now, along with the therapy issues, i.e. beating each other or banging each other, essentially. Yeah. uh, There were allegations of drug use. Now, many people said that the Western disciples were allegedly financing their extended stays in India through prostitution and drug rings. I could believe that. Yeah, I could believe that. Now, many said that Bhagwan was not directly involved in these decisions, 
but was in the discussions and he knew and gave his blessing. Yeah, he knew. Come on now. Now, by the late 1970s, uh, the ashram was proving to be too small to contain the growth. And Bhagwan asked for something larger to be found. That's what she said. Yeah. Uh, that's probably exactly what she did say in that fucking therapy room. Um, so three locations in India were eventually found, found, but plans were never implemented because of growing tensions between the ashram and the Janata Party government. They did not like him. Oh, um, okay. Land use approval was denied, yeah. and the Indian government stopped issuing visas to foreign visitors who listed the ashram as their main destination. Oh, wow. So they're like, he ain't coming in. Yeah. And if we have our way, he's going to get the fuck out. Yeah. So. So he got the fuck out. Now, the government also canceled their tax-exempt status with retrospective effect. This resulted in back taxes of $5 million. I was going to say, yeah, Mm -hmm. it's it's Mm got to be a large sum. Now, conflicts with various Indian religious leaders made the situation worse, so much so that the Prime Minister of India, who was a woman, Indira Gandhi, she was eventually assassinated too, by the way, um, she refused to get in the middle. Okay. She's like, I'm not, not fucking doing it. Yeah. Now... So many rumors were flying around about him. Uh, in 1980, a young Hindu fundamentalist by the name of Vilas Toop attempted to assassinate Bhagwan, believing he was part of the CIA. Ooh. I feel like we should do a whole episode on the CIA. Oh, we definitely there's should. There's a lot to there, fucking unpack. Yeah. Um, Fuck yeah, we should. You know what? I want to do JFK. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I really want to do JFK. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. That'd be great. Um. So, in 1981, the ashram was hosting upwards of 30,000 visitors yearly, most of which were predominantly European and American. Because in India, they're like, you are speaking hogwash. Hogwash. This is not not what we believe. This is not what this country is for. This is not, this this just isn't a thing. Right. Now... Many observers at this point noticed that his lecture style had started to change from uh, what was noted, what was initially described as an intellectual focus to that of amusing the crowd with dirty or ethnic jokes. <laughs> Is that me? Yes. <laughs> Very much so. So on April 10th of 1981, after having given daily discourse, discourse sessions for 15 years, Bhagwan entered a state of self-imposed silence that would last three and a half years. Wow. I feel like nobody's that important. Yeah. I, I just, I don't... Yeah. I, I feel like you're defeating the purpose of... I'm, I'm not going to talk for three and a half years. Yeah. Nobody like, cares now. I don't now. give a shit. Right. It's like hunger strikes. Right. I, I'm eating fucking bread. Yeah, I, carbs, I don't give a shit. Carbs are the way to my heart. Right. <laughs> I will start a petition, not carbs stop eating are bread. delicious. Yes. Yes. Olive Garden breadsticks Bang. are delicious. Oh, my God. Oh, I found the best T-Rex picture, speaking of carbs, by the way. Um, How does that relate? I sent it to uh, one of the girls today, and she said carbs are also the way to my heart. Oh, yeah. So, you know. Um <clears throat> Now, he would participate in satsangs, which is exactly what it sounds like. You would sit silently and listen to music. 
um, he mm, replaced fun. his the daily you know lectures with that. Now around this time, Sheila Silverman, who became known as Ma Anad Sheila, yeah. replaced my Yoga Lakshmi as secretary. Mm-hmm. Now she's kind of the the one we talk about now yeah. for a little while. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now she was a Swiss Indian citizen who went to the United States for school, where she met her husband. Who was from Highland Park, Illinois. Was he really? Yep. And moved back to Indi- India, see, Indiana, in 1972 to pursue spiritual studies. Wow. Uh, the two of them soon became disciples of Bhagwan. And in May of 1981, Sheila convinced Bhagwan to travel to the U.S. after they had had previous talks of moving the ashram out of India and into the U.S. She felt that there would be more religious freedom. Mm-hmm. Most of their followers were American anyways. Yeah. That was kind of the place to be. Um, now, on June 1st of 1981, <clears throat> Bhagwan traveled to the U.S. on a tourist visa, allegedly for medical purposes. Now, Sheila publicly stated that Bhagwan would be in grave danger if he stayed in India and would receive his care in America. Okay. This led the Immigration and Naturalization Services, INS, to believe he had a preconceived intent to remain in the U.S. despite only being there on a tourist visa. Right. Now, he also stated religious purposes for the visa, but that really just kind of opened their eyes a little bit to the immigration fraud because he never received care, medical care, outside of a uh, Rajneeshi facility. So he never, like, he didn't go there for fucking modern medicine. Right, right. So, on June 13th of 1981, Sheila's husband, John, signed a contract to purchase a 64,000 acre. Yeah. That is the size of fucking Wyoming. Yep. Um, a 65,000 acre ranch in Oregon. Now, this ranch was actually spread across two different counties. It was across uh, Waco and Jefferson counties. Now, they renamed it Rancho Rajneesh, because we're very clever here. Mm-hmm. And Bhagwan moved there on August 29th. Now, they told neighboring ranches and the town of Antelope that was right next to it yeah. that they were there using the ranch to set up several agricultural op- operations. Right. Now, Antelope was a very small town, and by very small, I mean like 60 people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Now, within a year of them being there, it became very apparent to the people of Antelope that the these people were attempting to build an actual town. Right. Um, in May of 1982, residents on the ranch voted to incorporate it as the city of Rajneesh Piram. Mm. So they're like... Fuck you, we're going to build the city. Right. And they built a fucking city. City, yeah. Now, their biggest adversary was a group called A Thousand Friends of Oregon. They used numerous court and administrative actions to void the incorporation of the city and cause buildings and the building's improvements to be removed and publicly called for the city to be dismantled. Wow. Now, to win these elections and these you know to fight back in court we have all these people 
they would import large numbers of homeless people from various cities to affect the outcome of local elections. Wow. Once the election was over, they released these homeless people into surrounding towns, leaving most of them in the state's care at the state's expense. Man, that's some shady shit. Mm. Within three years, the ranch was now a city of roughly 7,000 people Mm -hmm. with a fire department and a police department, state-trained police department, an airstrip, a bus depot, and a post office with a zip code. That's crazy. But they're like, we're we're not a city. That's insane. We're not a fucking city. What are you talking about? Right. That's insane. So now, here's where the immigration fraud comes in. This is how they built their members. They would have a disciple who was from America go to another state and meet up with a disciple who was not from America. Right. And they would essentially pretend to date and then apply for a marriage license and say we're so in love and the person from the other country would apply for an extended visa Mm -hmm. would get said extended visa then they would fly back to the ranch and go their separate ways yeah like they never knew each other yeah that's how it everybody came into this country that's how they built their fucking city yeah now in March of 1982, local residents formed a group called Citizens for Constitutional Cities to oppose the ranch development. Now, at this point, they're still saying, we're not, we're not a city. Now, they filed a petition to order the government to, quote, contain, control, and remove the threat of invasion by an alien cult. So now it's not just surrounding areas that want them gone more people are paying attention. Uh, The Oregon legislature passed several bills that uh, attempted to slow or stop the development of the city. Um, It actually inhibited their distribution of revenue. Oh, really? And uh, Roshnish Piram was the only city affected. Um, The governor of Oregon in 1982 said, since your neighbors don't like you, why don't you just leave? <laughs> I mean, I like him. You weren't even fucking nice about it. Right. I like him. Don't let the door hit you or the good Lord split you. Right. Uh, in May of 1982, United States Senator Mark Hatfield called INS in Portland. An INS memo stated that the senator was, quote, very concerned about how this religious cult is endangering the way of life for a small agricultural town and is a threat to public safety. Such actions often do have influence on immigration decisions. In 1983, the Oregon Attorney General filed a lawsuit seeking to declare the city void because of an alleged violation of the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment to the Constitution. No shit. These guys were not fucking around. They're not joking around at all. Not even a little bit. Yeah. Not even a little bit. So... (laughs) Um, I mean, they're really trying to get them gone. Yeah. Um, now, Rajneesh Bhagwan, you know, he was kind of behind the scenes of everything. He had really withdrawn from the public-facing role of his own fucking movement. Called. Yeah. 
um, he, in lieu of speaking publicly, he would um, videotape himself, essentially. Oh, God. And play these yeah. out loud. Who, yeah. who else did that? Fucking. Uh, Jim Jones. Yeah. Yep. He would play himself over the loud. Osama paper. bin Laden, too. Yeah, he would, too. Mm-hmm. Um, his time was spent mostly in seclusion, and he communicated only with a few key disciples, including Sheila. And his caretaker, caretaker girlfriend, Ma Yoga Vivek. Ma Yoga? Whose name was uh, Christine Wolf. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Uh, he lived in a trailer next to a swimming pool. And, uh, well, you gotta have a swimming pool. Yeah, this is when he would drive his Rolls Royces in Princess Fucking Wave. Oh my God. Um, now, at one point in the early 80s, he gave Sheila limited power of attorney um, over him, essentially, and, yeah. and the commune. Um, <clears throat> in 83, she announced that he was only speaking to her, and he would later say that she kept him in ignorance. She didn't tell him what was going on. Obviously, this comes out in court mm-hmm. when he's being accused of her fucking crimes. Yeah. Um, now, a lot of the disciples really doubted that Sheila was properly re- representing Baguan. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people left in protest oh, of wow. her. Yeah. Um, now, if they weren't U.S. citizens, and they, they would have visa difficulties, so they would get married. Well, Same thing as before. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, <clears throat> Rajneesh Baguan was predicting the end of the world oh boy here we go yeah where's the spaceship um he felt that the world would be destroyed by nuclear war or other disasters in the 1990s Mm. um he really started saying this yeah as early as 1964 yeah um a lot of people felt that with his talks of this you know he spoke of a new humanity to avoid global suicide. Mm. Uh, he had what he called kind of a Noah's, Noah's Ark mentality. Mm-hmm. He's building sure. he's building his city oh, to take over the yeah. world. Okay. It's like the Hunger Games. It is. It's the last yeah. fucking, what did they call him? Shit, what did they call him? Ter- uh, not territory. No. Um, Fuck. Ah, damn it. You should Google that. Yeah. Or not. Colony? No. Mm-mm. So now, in March of 1984, Sheila announced that Baguan had predicted the deaths of two-thirds of humanity from AIDS. Mm. He required that if people were going to have sex, they had to wear rubber gloves and condoms. What? Why are you wearing rubber gloves? You know, other biddies are touching. Uh, right. I don't. I don't understand it. Uh, and they were to refrain from kissing, because that's how he said AIDS were spread. And he publicly said that this was a homosexual disease. Um, the Hunger Games. So they were utopian cities. What did they? And call the them? capital is the capital of Paneum. Yeah, but when they would all go to like the Hunger Games. Like Area 13 or whatever? Yeah. It's not saying. Mm-hmm. 
Sorry. My Google search wasn't that good, I guess. No, you suck. Um, I suck. So while he was in seclusion, Bhagwan dictated three books. Now, he dictated these books under the influence of nitrous oxide administered to him by his private dentist. What? Right on. <laughs> Have you ever had nitrous? Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. One of the books was called Glimpses of a Golden Childhood, Notes of a Madman, and Books I Have Loved. Oh. Now, nice. Sheila would later go on to say that uh, Bhagwan took 60 milligrams of Valium every day and was addicted to nitrous. Hmm. I would be a little more concerned about the 60 fucking milligrams of Valium, Valium than yeah. the laughing gas. Right. Who cares about fucking laughing gas? You know, my very first fire department job, we carried, we had nitrous. Did That's you That's what really? we gave for pain control. Wow. Yeah, my da- when my dad was on the ambulance, too. No shit. Yeah, because it's... You don't have to worry about, like, now the issue with pain control in the field is masking symptoms. Right. Well, with nitrous, once you take it away from them, yeah. you're no longer masking symptoms. Right. As opposed to the fucking fentanyl that we give you. Yeah, no yeah. shit. Ooh, babe. Man, that was a headache to get off of. Yeah, it was. So, at the peak of the Rajneeshpuram era, Bhagwan... Um, with the assistance of a sophisticated legal and business infrastructure, we need to build an infrastructure. Fuck yeah, we do. Uh, had created a, quote, corporate machine consisting of various front companies and subsidiaries. Hmm. Now, at the time, the three main ones were the Ranch Church, also known as the Rajneesh International Foundation, or RIF. Yeah. Uh, the Rajneesh Investment Corporation, also known as Rick <laughs> and the Rajneesh Neo Sainism International Commune, also known as Rinsic. Rinsic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's awesome. The umbrella organization that saw all of the investment activities was called Rajneesh Services International. Yeah. You guys are not fucking clever. <laughs> so this company was incorporated based in Zurich. There were many smaller organizations, um, and their sole purpose was to deal with the acquisition and the rental of Rolls Royces. Wow. You cared that much about They're not, not like, I don't like them. I'm not into them. No. Uh-uh. I mean, they're cool, but like. They're not that cool. They have 90 fucking three. Yeah, I'm not that into them. I would be, like, I don't want to move, like. My charger, and my chapstick, right. and my change. Like, I get pissed off enough when I have to move my little seat holder thingy because it digs into your fucking thigh. I know it hurts so oh my bad. God damn it. I, I, I'm too big for it. I babe. had it. I had it in the seat the other day, and Jackson's like, "Mom, you, you got to move this." Thing. And I'm like, "What the fuck?" Like, oh, it's so annoying. It's my car. It's so fucking annoying. It's babe. very convenient. It digs in. I know it's convenient, it's convenient, but not when you have a front seat passenger. Whatever. Digs into my fucking leg. Whatever. <laughs> so now moving on to 1984, uh, Bhagwan coached Sheila in using media coverage to her advantage during his uh, period of public silence. Um. 
And he would say that when Sheila spoke, she was speaking on his behalf. Um, he supported her when there were disputes about her behavior. Like, yeah. people did not like her. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot of tension amongst the inner circle. Um, <clears throat> this guy's dentist comes up a lot. Um, <laughs> according to the testimony of Bhagwan's dentist. <laughs> what the are you ready for this? Yeah. His name was Swami Devagit. Swami. Do you want to know his real name? Mike. Charles Harvey Newman. It's <laughs> awesome. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Now, during this meeting, Bhagwan was kind of like, fuck you, dude. This is my house, not yours. Yeah. Uh, and you can get the fuck out. Mm. Yeah. Um, the dentist, Devagit, claimed that... Bhagwan warned that Sheila's jealousy of anyone close to him would inevitably make Bhagwan himself a target. Yeah. She didn't want anybody close to him. Um, on October 30th of 1984, he ended his public, uh, his, excuse me, his period of public silence, yeah. announcing that it was, quote, time to speak his own truths. Oh, of course. Uh, on the 19th of December. It's time. Mm -hmm, he was asked if organization was necessary for religion to survive. Um, he started saying that he will not leave his disciples under a fascist regime. And according to the dentist, the statement seemed directly aimed at Sheila. Mm. Huh. The dentist knows. Yeah, the dentist knows. It's like the fucking hairdresser. <laughs> right. <laughs> or the barber. They always know. They always know, dude. Why Why do people talk to them? <laughs> I don't know. That's where know. all the gossip is. It is. But it why, is. But why do you feel so comfortable talking to them? I don't know. Well, I, you guys feel, don't you guys feel comfortable when you're getting your nails done? No. Oh. I hate it. Oh. They're talking about you in a different language. I know they are. They're like this fucking bitch yeah. cunt. God damn it. Coming in here with these fucking Instagram pictures. Right. And fucking whatever they call it. Not Etsy, but I don't know. My 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 nail guy is just like, no. No. <laughs> I'm like, Peter, come on. No. Damn it. <laughs> Although Carissa cuts my hair, though. Yeah. And we chat. But we chat anyway. So I don't know. It's weird. I don't know. Yeah. So <clears throat> now it's like this is starting to be the implosion. And I blame Swami Devagit, the fucking dentist. Um, why, I don't, why is a dentist so important to you? I don't know. I don't, mm. So now there's rumors going around the commune that Sheila is suppressing Bhagwan and that she is creating transcripts. Did I say that right? Yeah, transcripts. Why doesn't it sound right? I don't know. Oh. Of conversations that were allegedly had in private because she had bugged the entire fucking commune. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, she became known as Hitler in a red dress. Ooh, not good. Yeah. Not good. Now, at some point in September, um, Sheila and her entire management team fled for Europe. Um, he, uh, Bhagwan then held a press conference in which he labeled Sheila and her associates a, quote, gang of fascists. And he accused them of having committed serious crimes, most dating back to 1984. Mm -hmm. Now, 1984. This is the biggest 
bioterrorist attack. Yeah. So the alleged crimes, which he stated had been committed without his knowledge or consent, included the attempted murder of his personal physician. Uh, while being questioned, they asked her if she poked him in the butt with a needle. <laughs> um, poisonings of public officials in Oregon. Jesus. Wiretapping and bugging within the commune and within his own home. And a potentially lethal bioterror attack, sickening, ready? Yeah. 751 citizens. Whoa. Using salmonella to impact county elections. No shit. She poisoned salad bars at restaurants. No shit. She almost killed a newborn because of it. <laughs> yeah. Is that not wow. fucking insane? That's crazy, yeah. dude. That's... Mm-hmm. So the salmonella attack is considered the first confirmed instance of chemical or biological terrorism to have occurred in the United States. Mm. Bhagwan said he was in silence and isolation and he met only with Sheila. So he was unaware of the crimes being committed by the leadership until Sheila and her gang fled. Yeah. And this is when other disciples came forward to inform him. Uh, I call bullshit. Now, the thing with this... The salad bars, this was like months before the election. Right. So, I mean, they're not going to have the poops and not be able to come to vote. It's like months away. Yeah, true. What are you doing? 751 Dude, that's people. a lot. Mm-hmm. That's a fucking mm-hmm. lot, man. Now, the wiretapping thing, um, it's alleged that she was being used as a scapegoat. It's mm-hmm. also alleged that she bugged uh, Baguan's living quarters and made her tapes available to the U.S. authorities for her eventual own plea bargain. Ooh, smart. So she knew she was committing these crimes. Yeah, smart. Mm-hmm. Now... I got to give her credit on that. Um, <clears throat> many people who knew of the tapes listened to them they were never publicly released yeah um they allege that these tape recordings insinuate to them that Baguan was guilty of more crimes than he was ever prosecuted for or wow. ever known yeah um one of the officers said that uh Baguan's philosophy was not quote disapproving of poisoning and that he felt that he and sheila together had grown genuinely evil yeah I can believe that. Now, I don't know how, but there's very little evidence that he was involved in any of these crimes. Okay. Very little evidence. I don't know if he just played it safe and kept himself out of it. Quiet, yeah. Or what. But disciples are coming forward with tapes um, of meetings between Sheila and Baguan talking about the, quote, need to kill people. To strengthen wavering disciples, um, their resolve in participating in her murderous plots. Wow. Mm-hmm. And then she would bring the tapes back and fucking blackmail these people. Jesus. Yeah. This chick is fucking something else. Babe, she's crazy. She does, uh, in one of her court testimonies, say, uh, a tough titty. A tough titty. Uh, literally, that's how she says it. It's fucking amazing. A tough titty. Mm-hmm. Love it. So now, <clears throat> Sheila 
allegedly initiated many attempts to murder Baguan's caretaker and girlfriend and his personal physician. This guy's yeah. name is Swami, too. Swami. Swami Devarji. Swami Samswami. His Swami. name was George. Samsonite. His, Samsonite. His name was George. George. Yeah. Um, she thought they were a threat to Baguan, allegedly. Um, she recorded a conversation between people um, in which the doctor agreed to obtain drugs that Baguan wanted to ensure a peaceful death if he decided to take his own life. Ooh. He ain't killing himself. No, he ain't. No. He, um, the doctor obviously denied this, um, and turned around and said that Sheila physically attacked uh, everybody in the household, and she couldn't stand the fact that she had limited access now to Baguan because yeah. more people were coming towards him. Right. Um, they were considered a constant threat to her total monopoly on power. Mm-hmm. Now, despite this, on December 23rd, or excuse me, October 23rd of 1985, a federal grand jury indicted Baguan and several other disciples with conspiracy to evade immigration laws. Wow. Yeah. Now, uh, somehow it got leaked to his attorney. Yeah. So they started negotiations to allow him to surrender um, so he wouldn't be taken publicly. You're right, right. Um, there were rumors of a National Guard takeover and a planned violent arrest of Baguan, and many people now in the commune were afraid of a shooting um, similar to that that had happened before with other fucking cults. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, <clears throat> now, some of these tapes, uh, authorities allege that there was a plan that the women and children... W- were asked to create a human shield if authorities tried to arrest Baguan. Oh, yeah, because that's what you do. What? Where are the men? <laughs> that's what you do. <laughs> Where the fuck are you wieners? I'm not playing fucking Red Rover with the FBI. Like, what are you doing? Oh, wow. Where what? are the men? Babe, this is so fucking goofy. Mm. Babe, I... Mm. So, he tried to leave. <laughs> yeah. On his Learjet, uh, on October 28th, he was caught. Him and uh, a couple other disciples um, attempting to board this rented jet. Yeah. They were going to Bermuda to avoid prosecution. Of course. They had $58,000 in cash, as well as 35 watches and bracelets worth a combined total of $1 million. One million dollars. This motherfucker had a watch that was a million dollars in and of itself. What a dick. What? Enjoy your potato sack. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Wear the pretty red one when we play Red Rover with the FBI. Right. And don't be blinded by my diamond watch. Right. We are not living life right. (laughs) Dude, we are in the wrong Why the fuck are we not doing this? I don't know, dude. I do not know. Probably because we would try to spew spiritual shit and people would be like... These people are fucking liars. Jamie. Yeah. Hey. You're a liar. You have no soul. There's no spirit there. Right. We are not fucking following you in your Rolls Royce. Right. (laughs) Just saying. Yeah. Lay down, Chance. So, (laughs) 
then, so once they were arrested, um, officials actually kind of dicked him around. They took an entire 10 days, which was the amount legally available to them to transfer him from North Carolina to Portland, and they would book him into a different jail every night and then bring him out and then book him into another one and then bring him out and book him into another one. So in Portland on November 8th, um, Baguan pleaded not guilty to 34 charges and was released on $500,000 bail and returned to the commune. Uh, On the advice of his lawyers, he later entered an Alford plea, which, Mm -hmm. as we all know, is a type of guilty plea in which a suspect does not admit guilt but does concede that there is enough evidence to convict him. Uh, The Alford plea was in reference to one count of having a concealed intent to remain permanently in the United States at the time of his original visa application in 1981, and one count of having conspired to his disciples to enter into sham marriages to acquire U.S. residency. Wow. Uh, Under this deal his lawyers made with the U.S. Attorney's Office, he was given a 10-year suspended sentence, five years probation, a $400,000 penalty in fines and prosecution costs, and agreed to leave the United States, not returning for at least five years without the permission of the U.S. Attorney General. Wow. Now, they stated that um, they were permitting what they called dual intent, which was a desire to stay in the country, but a willingness to comply with the law if denied permanent residence. Yeah. So they ended up saying that his uh, encouragement of the sham marriages uh, constituted incitement, which is a crime in the U.S., but not a conspiracy. Mm. So, on November 17, 1985, Bhagwan returned to India and was given a hero's welcome by his Indian disciples, who denounced the United States, wow. saying the world must, quote, put the monster America in its place, and that, quote, either America must be hushed up or America will be the end of the world. Wow. Yikes. He started looking for um, a new commune. Mm-hmm. Do you... Do you want to know where he was looking? Where? Uh, he was looking to buy Marlon Brando's property in the South Pacific. <laughs> that's that's excellent. I, this man is the biggest fucking contradiction. Oh yeah, he is. Ever. Most cult leaders like this are. Jesus Christ. He ended up uh, leaving the area he was in, um, <clears throat> mostly because. The non-Indian people in his party had their visas revoked. Mm -hmm. Um, He ended up being arrested uh, again and flying to Sweden um, and was refused entry into multiple other countries. Uh, Like, they wouldn't even let his fucking plane land. Wow. Yeah. Uh, He ended up being allowed to stay in Ireland for two weeks on the condition that he basically did not go out in public and or talk to anybody. (laughs) <laughs> wow. Yeah, he couldn't talk to anybody. That's insane. That's crazy. So after all of that, he went through Jamaica and Uruguay. He ended up returning to Bombay on July 30th of 1986. Mm-hmm. Uh, shortly after, in January of 1987, he returned to the original uh, ashram in Pune. He went back to what he was doing, holding uh, evening disclosures except when interrupted by his shit health. 
Which I don't know why you should. Dude, you're a private dentist and a private doctor. Why are you so fucking unhealthy? Exactly. You should be fucking top notch. We're healthier than you, and Jesus fuck. (laughs) I mean, I died. Jesus, twice. (laughs) Right. Jesus. Yeah. So. That's fucked up. In November of 1987, he publicly expressed his belief that his deteriorating health, which included nausea, fatigue, pain in his extremity, and lack of resistance to infection, uh, us, yeah, yeah, same dude, same, uh, was due to poisoning by the U.S. authorities while in prison. Mm. His doctors and former attorney, Swami, Swami, whose name was Philip. They hypothesized that radiation and thallium in a deliberated, irritated mattress. Sure. They put it in his mattress? Well, I mean, it is the CIA. It was mostly on his right side. That's why they said that. Uh, Yeah. Um, Where is he? Hey. God damn this dog. So, sir, the government does not care enough about you to poison your fucking mattress. (laughs) Right. Chance. They, they They just don't. Now, in... Late December of 1988, um, or excuse me, in late December of 1988 and early 1989, he started talking about communism and Zen fire, Zen Zen wind. He's now criticizing capitalism. Really? Yes. Um, But promoting communism again. Um, And at this point, he again changed his name, stating he no longer wished to be referred to as Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh. And in February of 1989, he took on the name Asho Rajneesh. He also uh, requested that all his trademarks that were previously branded with Rajneesh be rebranded with Osho. How much shit did you fucking trademark, dude? Um, Sounds like a lot. mm. So his health continued to decline. Uh, His last public appearance was in April of 1989. And then he would just simply sit in silence with his followers. Yeah. Um, he suggested that one or more audience members at evening meetings were subjecting him to some form of evil magic. Oh, yeah. Or you're dying. Yeah. That's, you're, you're dying. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah. He died young. He died January 19th, 1990 at the Ashram in Pune. Uh, at the age of 58, of oh, heart wow. failure. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, a statement released by his commune said that he had died because, quote, living in the body had become a hell after an alleged poisoning in U.S. jails. Mm, sure. Again, I say, they did not care enough about you. No. To poison you. No. Now, people still question his death. They question whether or not he was poisoned for his money. Mm-hmm. Or his Indian treasures. Ooh. Yeah. Now, let me tell you about Sheila. This woman. She eventually, she ended up fucking fleeing. Okay. Yeah. She fled to Sweden where, so her first husband, John, died. Mm-hmm. Now, they obviously say. Swami that, Samsonite. Right. Um, Not the dentist. Right. But. I'm sure he was a fucking swami. Yeah. Um, so she would eventually, it people would eventually come out and say that she killed him. 
mm-hmm. that she injected him the same way she attempted to inject Swami the doctor, and she killed her first husband. Yeah. So she ended up, <coughs> hopefully not with fucking cotton mouth like I have. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Take a sip, babe. Gonna... Take a sip. Okay. You ready? Okay. On September 13th of 1985, Sheila fled to Europe. Um, A few days later, Baguan publicly accused her of, quote, arson, wiretapping, attempted murder, and mass poisonings. Wow. He also alleged that Sheila had written the book titled uh, Rajneeshism and published it under his name. Ooh. Um, Subsequently, all of her shit was burned. (laughs) <laughs> and the uh, book was actually published in 1983, but uh, that was also burned. Nice. After U.S. authorities searching her home found wiretapping networks and a laboratory, 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 in which the bacteria in the attack had been used and or had been grown. Salmonella. Yeah. She was arrested in West Germany in October of 1985. Good. How the fuck did she get to Germany? Right. She was extradited to the U.S. on charges of immigration fraud and attempted murder because Germany's like, get the fuck out. Yeah. We don't want you. We don't want you either. Mm -mm. Now, the Oregon Attorney General prosecuted her for crimes related to the poisonings of Commissioner Matthew and a judge. Hmm. Uh, She pled guilty on July 22nd, 1986 to first-degree assault and conspiracy to commit assault against a judge. And later to second degree assault and conspiracy to commit assault against the commissioner. Wow. She pled guilty to setting fire to a county office and wiretapping at the commune. Jeez. For these crimes. This she, chick is a nut. Yeah. She was sentenced to three 20 year terms in federal prison, which was ultimately reduced to four and a half years. Oh, my God. To be served concurrently. Oh, my God. I love our judicial system. So she went from 60 years to To four. four. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't that? Uh Uh-huh. So she was sent to the... She was also fined $470,000. Oh, well, thank God. Right, because, I mean, everybody knows you have to pay those. Yeah. Right. So she was sent to the Federal Correctional Institution in Dublin, California for female criminals. Uh, she announced plans to make a controversial documentary about her life. Mm-hmm. In reality, she was released in December of 1988 on good behavior after serving 29 months and was deported to West Germany. Wow. She then later moved to Switzerland. Mm-hmm. She married Switzerland. She married Swiss citizen Ernst Bergenstiel, a fellow Rashnish follower, uh, where they moved to. M- Mazeprak? Sure. Uh, where she bought and managed two nursing homes. What? This bitch poisoned 750 what? people and she's <laughs> caring she... for old people? Oh, that's great. Uh, what the fuck is wrong with people? Hmm. What the fuck? It gets better. Dude. In 1999, she was convicted by a Swiss court for, quote, criminal acts preparatory to the commission of murder in relation to a plot to kill U.S. federal prosecutor Charles Turner in 1985. So Switzerland, 14 years later, was like, 
Come on, bitch. Yeah, right. We gonna get you. Right. But then they refused to extradite her to the U.S. instead of agreeing to try her in Switzerland. Yeah, the, uh, Switzerland doesn't... They don't care. They don't extradite, I, I uh, believe. She was found guilty of the equivalent Swiss charge of conspiracy to commit murder and was sentenced to time served. Oh, my God. Babe. What the fuck is going on? How? mm. Now, at some point, she ended up posing nude in a magazine. Ooh. And when she's confronted with it, she says, ooh, I have a nice body. Tough titty. That's when she says tough titty. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So she's still living in Switzerland. Is she really? Running her her two nursing homes. That's insane. So not only did you poisoned 750 people in the u.s and you went to trial for it um you got tried in switzerland for conspiracy to commit murder and you're out on that you're taking care of old people (laughs) that makes sense people who can't fend for themselves right that makes total sense the ones you poison oh my god perhaps with salmonella salmonella she didn't even like I mean, people who make meth try harder to hide their labs than this fucking broad did. Right. And they walked in and they're like, oh, E. coli. Awesome. Have a nice day. Mm. What the fuck? Dude, I don't know. So they're just, you know, going about their daily business. That's unreal. Mm -hmm. Unfucking real, dude. Mm -hmm. Yep. What a fucked up story. (laughs) I, I just, I, um... I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know what to say. Like, leave it at that. Yeah. It's fucked up. Uh, cults are weird. Very weird. Yeah. And but that I, is I, just fucked up how she is just living her life right taking now. Taking care of old people. Right. Oh, uh, my God. Mom, so... don't worry. The director tried to kill, like, 750 people, but, like, <laughs> right. you weren't part of that. This is a great place. You weren't part of that. It'll be fine. Oh 700 thread count sheets, like pudding. You'll be great. Dude. What the fuck? This is one goofy and, and story. And they just were like, oh, cool. So you live there and like you gave your blessing, but I don't think you really did anything. Yeah. So we're going to go after her. And then you just don't. Unreal. I, I don't get it. Unreal. I, I don't. I'm at loss for words. Why do these crazy fucking people come here, too? I know. Stay in your own country. Seriously. Jesus. Build you crazy out there? Yeah. I mean... Stop coming here. Here, we just, we don't hide our crazy. We just put it on the front fucking porch. Oh, yeah. And discuss, you know, discuss it amongst ourselves. Yeah, but without a doubt. At least we do that. Right. We don't pretend that we're normal. Right. We know we're not fucking normal. We know we're crazy. We get it. Right. <laughs> But like I said, even the fucking meth people try harder to hide their labs. Oh, man. What a crazy story. Well, I hope you guys out there enjoyed it. Uh, Whatever platform you listen to us on, please hit that five-star liking. Like, share, follow, tell your friends, family, loved ones. And uh, we'll be coming out with uh, episode 100 pretty soon. Of the Menendez Brothers. Yes, we will. Because I don't think I can, I'm going to find anything else. I think that's where I'm set. Yeah. No, that's that's what we're doing. Yeah. So that'll be a few days. We're very indecisive. So, 
Yeah, we are. I know. We are. Oh, well. Yeah, yeah. It is what it is. Yeah. All right, guys. I uh, hope you enjoyed this one, and we will be talking to you soon. Uh, bye. Bye. <laughs>